Welcome to the Starkville State of Mind Podcast. Here is your host, Justin Strawn. Welcome to the Starkville State of Mind. I am your host, Justin Strong. Glad to be with you for kind of a midweek or late week edition of the show. A little bit different just because of a couple things that have happened. Mississippi State wrapped up their 2020 football recruiting class this afternoon. They come in at 27th in the 24-7 sports composite index. We'll talk about that. That will be a big part of the show. We'll also look back at Mississippi State's eight-point loss to the Kentucky Wildcats on Tuesday night, and we'll look ahead to their game against Vanderbilt, which is a must-win, and we'll talk about why that is. And we will take a look at the Mississippi State baseball team, specifically the infield, and we'll take a look and see just what it is that Mississippi State will be fielding a little over a week from when you're listening to this on Valentine's Day. So we've got a lot to talk about, but before we talk about any of it, I do need to tell you about our sponsor, Cherokee Valley Golf Course. If you're a golfer and you live in the Greater Memphis area, you're probably just like me looking for the best opportunity for you to spend your golfing time wisely. Well, why not look and check out Cherokee Valley Golf Course? My son and I golf there almost every single time we go out, and it's a great course whether you're a skilled golfer looking for a challenge or if you're a beginner somewhat like me and just trying to learn how to play the game. My son and I have been playing there for years, and we would highly recommend it They've done a great job of keeping the course maintained. It's a beautiful course. Lots of wonderful practice facilities. No reason that you shouldn't be out there honing your game. So if you're in the Olive Branch area or in the greater Memphis area, give Cherokee Valley Golf Course a look and go ahead and tell them I sent you. That's Cherokee Valley Golf Course. You can call them at 662-893-4444 or you can book a tee time online at olivebranchgolf.com. All right, before we get into the heart of the show, I do want to remind all of you out there in listener land that if you are looking for different methods to listen to the podcast, I do try to have a few options available to you. There is a SoundCloud app where I know most of my listeners come from. I appreciate you guys tuning into it each and every time that I post a a podcast up on it. So I appreciate you guys always being faithful and tuning into it there. If you are a preferred if you prefer to get your podcast through the podcast app on an Apple device you can do that just go to the Apple to go to your Apple device go to the podcast app and do a search for Stark Real State of Mind it'll pull it right up you can subscribe you can leave a review leave us a five star review if at all possible that would be really great get the podcast out to a whole bunch of different people if you did so and there's also the google play store for those of you who are android users if you have a, a an android device of some sort a phone a tablet whatever it may be you can get it through there and of course there is spotify available for you guys who like to get your podcast through the spotify app so whatever it is you prefer i try to have it available to you and if there's another way out there that i need to get it to you guys let me know i'll, I'll look into it and see what i can do all right, let's go ahead and get into the show, though. Obviously, the the big headline is it just because of the day that it is, is National Signing Day. Mississippi State, I'm recording this on Wednesday at 7.32, if you're wondering, but Mississippi State wrapped up their recruiting class on Wednesday in the official National Signing Day, but it just loses so much attention nowadays because of the fact that we the, most of the class was already signed and sealed and delivered back in December, now with the early signing period. So this this day just doesn't have quite the same cachet that it once did. That All that cachet has gone to the early signing period because that's when a lot of the recruits end up signing their letters of intent. The really only real bit of news to come out of this day was Mississippi State did pick up Starkville wide receiver, Starkville standout, Rufus Harvey. 
he received his offer from the Bulldogs, and he ended up flipping his commitment away from Arkansas State to Mississippi State. Not a surprise by anybody. He was really just waiting for that for that offer to come through, and once it finally did come through, he was ready to go ahead and take it and commit to be a Bulldog to further his football career. Now, what will it be like? I don't know. There are probably less talented guys that Mike Leach has had on his staff that have, I'm sorry, that have had on his teams that have done far more than what any other Mississippi State receiver has ever done. So if there's a guy who I think can make Rufus Harvey work because of the fact that he's not a huge guy, he's only 5'10 and 167 pounds, so he's small, but he's kind of got that, he feels like a perfect fit for a inside receiver, slot receiver type type of player. I mean, his production at Starkville, Starkville High School is second to none. He's a very, very productive player. He's had a tremendous career as a Yellow Jacket, and you would expect him in the Mike Leach, off- Mike Leach offense to really thrive and really contribute as a Bulldog. But other than that, there's really not that much to, to talk about in terms of this signing class just because, like I said earlier, Mississippi State – took care of most of their business on during the early signing period. They did sign a few new people, but like I said, not, the, Rufus Harvey is the only one that really stands out. And the only reason he stands out is because of the fact that he was right there in Starkville, Mississippi, for, for either Mike Leach or Joe Moorhead, had he still been the coach, to go and get. And there's one, I think that's one of the reasons why there was really no, no real urgency to go and make an early offer to him because you felt like you could get him just whenever you wanted to. As long as you got the offer to him, he was going to eventually take it. But Mississippi State, they finished the season according to 24-7. This is who I go by. According to their composite ranking, they finished the year as the 27th ranked team in the country, the 10th ranked team in the SEC. A good recruiting class, a recruiting class that fills some needs. They've got some guys who should be able to play receiver for for Mike Leach, obviously I've mentioned Rufus Harvey, but there's others on here as well. The guys who need to come in and contribute immediately. You probably need Jordan Davis, the transfer from Colin Community College, who plays defensive end. You probably need him to come in and be a instant impact type of player. The Bulldogs need some pass rush. That's the one thing that they could really use, especially there on the end. I think they're pretty good up the middle with Nathan Pickering, with Fabian Lovett, with all those guys on there as well. Uh, who else am I forgetting? Crumity is there. So, I mean, I think they're good at the middle. They really could use some instant impact on the outside, and I think Jordan Davis will give them that. Also, Malik Heath, you got to get something from Malik Heath. You had the number one wide receiver, number one Juco wide receiver for two years with Stephen Gidry, and you got to get more production out of Malik Heath than you, than you got out of him. It was... It just did not go well for Stephen Gidry. He had look, he had a good, he had a, a pretty decent bowl game to end his career. But you got to get more. I mean, he is the number two, the number two JUCO wide receiver. He was supposed to be a Mississippi State Bulldog coming out of high school, but there were lots of issues around his academics. You have to go back and do the research for him. I really don't want to dig all that stuff back up, but you get the point. So he needs to come in and be an instant impact guy as well. You almost have to kind of count on him being that instant impact guy because you just have so little, you just have so little returning from you for you from the receiver position. You just haven't gotten anything out of your receiver. So he really needs to come in and be an instant impact type of player for the Bulldogs in 2020. There are some other guys that are listed as athletes who might could be listed as who might could see time at receiver. 
Lidatric, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, uh, Lidatric, whatever his name is, Lidatric Griffin, uh, he's a four-star athlete out of Philadelphia, Mississippi, he's 5'10", 170, you could see him being a wide receiver or a corner, I could see either, I could see him going either way there, same thing for Dylan Joseph, he's six foot two, 190 pounds, I could see him going either way, so there are some guys here that could end up being receivers that are listed as athletes same thing for Jaden wally who's, uh, who's out of deberville uh, in Bluxy, mississippi so there's a lot of guys that you're just trying to figure out where they're going to play in the dan mullen scheme a lot of these guys who were listed as athletes got sent to the defensive side of the football i'll be interested to see if that's the same approach that mike leach takes or if he wants to try to keep them on offense i don't know but we'll have to just wait and see on that I said, it's a good, solid recruiting class. It's not a recruiting class that's probably going to propel you to the top of the SEC West. That's probably just not going to happen. But it is a recruiting class that can kind of keep you where you've been during the damn millennials. It's the type of recruiting class that can come in and hopefully allow you to punch up in the SEC West because that's what you have to do when you are the 10th rated when you're the 10th best recruiting school in the SEC, you're going to have to punch up. I mean, it's 27th is not a bad, it's not a bad class ranking. It's about average during the damn millennials, maybe a little bit lower, but it's about average for the, for the damn millennials. And that's like I said, that's not bad, but the problem is it's 10th in the SEC. You've got nine other SEC schools in front of you. So we'll see how this signing class ends up panning out. It should pan out pretty well. I think, like I said, I think you got some guys who can, who can contribute. The probably the highest rated guy that goes to Jaquavius Marks. He is a, the running back out of Atlanta, Georgia. I'll be interested to see what they do with him. With Kylan Hill coming back, you don't have to play him this year. You can redshirt him and you can give yourself a little bit of extra time to allow him to learn to learn the offense and to just sit back and save some eligibility. And that way, you just put Kylan Hill out there for his final year of eligibility and let him try to impress NFL scouts a little bit more. But he'll be a he's got star in the making written all over him, so I think he's gonna be really, really good. But it's good that they don't have to put him in immediately. They can give him some time to grow and to to learn the offense and get adjusted to what it is that Mike Leach wants his running backs to do. Because it's probably gonna be a lot different than anything he was asked to do when he was in high school. Now all, all of this though, the one guy who's going to make the biggest impact, and he's not he doesn't for some reason they don't in they don't count the transfers as part of the ranking. KJ Costello, we talked about him in the early week show. He's the guy who, though, is the one who's going to really make this recruiting class sink or swim for the one year he is here. I mean, he's the, he's the star. He's the guy that everybody's going to have their eyes on. So we'll see what he can do in the Mike Leach offense. I think he's going to be really successful. But like I said, he's the guy that everybody's going to be looking for. And we won't see him, though, until until the first game of the 2020 season. So, lots, like I said, lots of good things going for the Bulldogs in the recruiting trail. But if you're, if you're expecting this team, this recruiting class, to win the national championship, you're probably going to be disappointed. It can still be a good, productive group for the Bulldogs here in 2020 and beyond. All right, now, something that was not so productive for Mississippi State was their trip up to Lexington this past Tuesday – when they took on the Kentucky Wildcats in Rupp Arena, they end up losing 80-72. to And honestly, guys, it can be summed up in one thing, shooting. Mississippi State did not shoot the ball well at all. I'm not going to get into a whole lot of specifics, but by the time Mississippi State started finding their shot, they were 
they were down by they pretty much stayed in like the six to twelve point deficit range throughout most of the game really they got it down to six a couple of times they got pushed out there the league got pushed out to about 12 a few times and they just didn't shoot well enough to be able to keep themselves in the game and once they finally started shooting the ball pretty well kentucky was matching them with it so look it, it didn't hurt their tournament resume at all it, it would have been nice to put that on there but the one thing that it does mean for the bulldogs is they don't have wiggle room anymore because you don't have an opportunity to really jump up in the net rankings unless you just win. That's the only way you can do it at this point. Because you can maybe do it a little bit when you play Arkansas, when you go on the road and play them in Arkansas, if you can beat them. But it's not going to be a huge jump. It's not going to be that impressive of a win. But for, but nevertheless, they're still in really good shape in terms of their tournament resume because according to Joe, Joe Lenardi, who's the king of all bracketologists, going into that game on Tuesday, Joe Lenardi had Mississippi State as one of the last four into the tournament playing in Dayton, Ohio. After the loss, he actually kicks them up as one of the last four buys. He moved them up from the 11 to the 10 seed, and they wouldn't have to go and play in Dayton. They would get one of those. They would be playing on the on Friday or on Thursday or Friday, just like everybody else was playing in the first weekend of the tournament. So it actually did help their tournament resume, apparently just playing Kentucky, but they did go down in the net rankings. They went from 37th to 39th. Like it's just not, there's not a whole lot to discuss with this baseball with, I'm sorry, with this basketball team and this basketball game on Tuesday, just because they just didn't shoot well. Nobody shot well. DJ Stewart probably had the best night of anybody, but even his wasn't all that spectacular, especially once they kind of bottled him up a little bit. So, look, it's not surprising that they didn't shoot the ball that well because it seems like whenever you go on the road, especially into a hostile environment like Rupp Arena, it's, it's harder to shoot. I don't know if it's just the fact that you're playing in a different environment, if it's the backdrop of the goal, whatever it may be, teams just have a hard time shooting when they're on the road. And Mississippi State ended up costing Mississippi State big time. But like I said, it's... It doesn't really hurt you so long as you don't have a slip-up in some of these other games that they just have to win. And one of those games that they have to win is this coming Saturday against the Vanderbilt Commodores. Vanderbilt is a bad team. There is no getting around it. Even though, and this is this is a game that's going to be played at home for the Bulldogs against the 170th ranked team in the net rankings if you lose this game it's a quadrant four loss you can't have a quadrant four loss on your resume it would it would be a huge deterrent on the mississippi state tournament resume if they end up losing this game and one of the main reasons they are as bad as they are is because for the second straight year in a row vanderbilt has suffered a huge loss when their leading scorer, Aaron Neesmith, I think that's how it's pronounced, ended up having a, ended up fracturing a leg bone, I think it was, uh, a stress fracture. Yeah, I think it was a stress fracture in his leg, and it has put him out of commission. And I'm pretty certain he is out for the rest of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Well, all the reports say he's out indefinitely. They don't say that he's definitely out for the year, but for all intents and purposes, it looks like he is going to be gone. So when you lose your best player who averages 23 points per game, and that's what he was averaging before he went out, I think it was against the Auburn Tigers is when he ended up injuring his foot. That's that's a huge loss. 
And it's one that you can almost just simply can't recover from. And he was a really good player. He was shooting 52% from three-point range, 51% from the field overall. And when you take that out of your lineup, then it's just really tough to overcome. So that leaves their leading scorer as Saban Lee, who averaged 16 points per game. And that's a that's a big drop-off. I mean, when you take 23 points out of your out of your lineup, it's just hard to recover from that, and Vanderbilt just has not been able to. They are 0-8 in the SEC in SEC play. They're 8-13 overall. And like I said, maybe they would probably be in a lot better shape if they had Neesmith or Nesmith or however you pronounce his name. But they don't have him, and it's a struggle. I mean, what it basically boils down to for, for Vanderbilt is they don't shoot well and they don't rebound well. And that's a really bad combination because if you don't shoot the ball well, then you're never going to, and you can't rebound, then every time you throw up a every time you throw up a shot, it means you're probably not going to get the rebound and you're going to give it to a team, you're going up against a team that's really good at rebounding in Mississippi State. Vanderbilt shoots 42.7% from the field, that's not good. And they only get 33.2 rebounds per game. They get out-rebounded by, by 2.7. And against a team like Mississippi State, they will probably be out-rebounded even worse than they normally are because Mississippi State is such a big physical team that does a really good job of collecting rebounds. Now, they did give, they did give Kentucky a little bit of a scare this past Saturday, but they still ended up losing. I mean, they've got, they've got talent, but they have to be playing – just clicking on all cylinders for the Commodores to get any type of win or have any type of a chance, and they they just don't. I mean, it's it's a very different team without their leading scorer and their best player. It, they just are. So, look, Mississippi State needs to win this game. I'm, there's no really other way of getting around it. They've got to win this game. They don't have any good wins. Vanderbilt does. Their wins have come against Southeast Missouri State, A&M Corpus Christi, Austin P, South Carolina State, uh, Southeastern Louisiana, Buffalo, Loy uh, UNCW, I guess that's UNC Wilmington, I had to guess. Davidson, uh, I guess that's about, you know, that, that's, that was their last win was against Davidson on December 30th. To give you an idea of some of the teams they've lost to, I mean, they lost to Tulsa, they lost to Liberty, they lost to Loyola Chicago, they've lost to Texas A&M, they've lost to Arkansas, they've just lost to everybody. They're, they're just not a good team. They're just not. So you, you need to win this game. You can't afford to lose it because if you do, then that is a – that is a serious ding to your tournament resume. They probably go from being one of the first four buy, last four buys to being one of the first four out again. You got to get this W on Saturday if you're the Bulldogs. And I expect them to. I expect them to be able to do it and do it with relative ease. I'm going to say probably about a 15 point win. I think they'll end up. I think Mississippi State will end up winning. Let's say. Let's say Mississippi State ends up getting 82 to 67. That's the, that's what I'm predicting. I expect Reggie Perry to have another big game. I don't think they'll have any answer for him. I mean, their leading rebounder is Cleavon Brown, who averages six rebounds per game. That's their leading rebounder, and he's he's only started. He's basically taken the place of Aaron Neesmith ever since he went down because he didn't. He, He's only started nine games, and Neesmith started 14, so he's the guy who came in and took over for him after he went down with an injury. I mean, he's done okay, nine points per game, but you're only getting – I mean, basically they they lost 14 points when he went down. If that's the guy they replaced him with, they lost 14 points. So 
like I said, this is a game Michigan State has to win. You have to win it. There's no other way of getting around it. And I think they will. It may be it may be one of those things where they kind of get off to a slow start because they normally do. It will give every Mississippi State fan a little bit of heart palpitations, but I think they will eventually pull it out, and I think they'll pull it out, like I said, in rather convincing fashion. All right, now let's talk a little bit about baseball before we go. In the preview today, I want to talk about the infield and just what we can expect out of them. And I'm including the catcher in the infield because I know technically that's part of the battery, but it, I'm not going to spend an entire episode just talking about the catcher. So I'm including the, the catcher position in this. I'll include the DH in with the outfield just to kind of balance things out because I think probably the DH will mostly come from guys who you would consider outfielders. Now, one of the things that will probably end up happening is you're probably going to have you could end up having Tanner Allen get moved to the outfield. I don't know that this is confirmed, but it's been something that's been talked about. If you go by, I go by a lot by what D1 Baseball tells me, and D1 Baseball is talking about that they could see Josh Hatcher move from right field and into first base, and you could have Tanner Allen go from first base back out into right field. Because if I'm not mistaken, Tanner Allen was an outfielder when he was recruited. So let's just kind of kind of go from there. Look, they're both probably going to be in the starting lineup, so I'm not too terribly worried about that. Knows where each of them is. Who knows at this point? But that's just kind of what that's just what D1 baseball is, is projecting at this point. So I could see it end up happening. Now, what about this team in terms of the infield? That's a really talented infield. Luke Hancock. In limited opportunities, he hit 326 last year. He slugged 419. Didn't have any home runs, but he did drive him 14 runs. Josh Hatcher hit three home runs with a 321 batting average. Had some moments there where he really shined in some when he wasn't given just a whole lot of opportunities, especially when Elijah McNamee ended up going down with some injury issues. He was the guy that was called upon to step in, and he did so. So he did a really good job of it. And like I said, I could really see him doing stepping in first base. That's where he was brought into play. That's what he was originally playing his freshman year. If you guys remember that first weekend in Southern Miss, the only good thing that happened in 2018 in that weekend series at Southern Miss was Josh Hatcher was absolutely ripping the cover off the ball. And then he just completely tailed off not too long after that. And that's where he was. He was playing first base. So it wouldn't surprise me to see. Tanner Allen moved to the outfield like they had, like D1 Baseball is talking about, and have Josh Hatcher move to the infield. Then you got obviously Justin Foskey, who was the breakout star for last year. He hit 331, slugged 564, had 15 home runs, 60 RBIs, and he could end up. This is going to be the year that he really puts on, he's going to try to put on a show for Major League Scouts. Major League Scouts, when they see that second baseman being able to put up that many home runs, put up that type of power, that's going to be really attractive to a Major League Scout. Now, his up-the-middle mate, if you want to call it, I'm not sure exactly what you want, what you would call it, but double play combo, that's what I'm looking for. His double play partner, Jordan Westbrook, he's the one that's going to be interesting to watch because he got off to such a hot start in 2019. He was batting close to 400 throughout a large portion of the year. Then he just could not make any type of quality contact and ended up losing about 100 points on his batting average. His batting average dropped all the way down to 294s where it finished. He slugged 457. He had six home runs, 61 RBIs, and he was absolutely crushing the ball every time he hit it. I mean, he did not if he hit, made contact, he was hitting the ball hard. 
that leaves third base. That's Landon Jordan in all likelihood. It could be somebody else. But in all, from what we're gathering is it's probably going to end up being Landon Jordan, who hit 328 last year, slugged 426, had one home run, 11 RBIs. And that is probably what your infield is going to look like. Now, there could be some other people that jump in there. But to start, it would be would be very surprising to see much of the infield change from what I just mentioned. Like I said, there could be some guys out there who I didn't mention just a minute ago, but for the most part, that seems like a pretty safe bet, especially going by what D1 Baseball has in their team preview. Now, what does that mean for us? It means that there's probably going to be a lot of power. I would expect... I, I really expect Josh Hatcher, Justin Foscue, and Jordan Westberg, I expect all of their power numbers to go up. I could see Justin Foscue getting close to 20 home runs this year. I could see Jordan Westberg. From what we have gathered and from what people have told us is he really figured out his swing in summer ball last year. When he was playing his summer ball, I can't remember where he was playing at, but he really found another level with his swing and just really developed into an almost unstoppable hitter. I'm going to be really interested to see what he can do because he has Major League Baseball player written all over him. I don't think he's going to be a shortstop at the Major League level. If you've listened to my show in the past, you've heard me say that. He does not project as a shortstop. He projects as an outfielder or a third baseman. But he's a really talented athlete. He That's what he is. He is an athlete. Uh, and he is sometimes a bit of a defensive liability there at shortstop, but I really think that what he's going to do with the bat this year is going to completely outweigh any miscues that he has in the field. But it's a really talented – look, the one thing that we have talked about with this baseball team, and I haven't spent that much time on the baseball team, so let me go ahead and say this now. The offense – the lineup should be good. The offense should be good. Most of the guys who are coming back – who are coming to – who are going to be contributing in this lineup are guys that have been on the team for at least a year. Most of them too. I mean, if you look up and down the lineup, you've got junior, junior, junior. It's a veteran team that Chris Lamonis is going to be putting out on the field. And we should get similar results, if not better results from the lineup at the very least than what we had in the 2019 season. So it's, it's a really exciting part of the team. I mean, if you look up and down Mississippi state's, Preview on D1 Baseball, I mean, their their power, their speed, their defense, all are rated really high. The only thing that's really not rated that high for them is the bullpen. But the infield should be a really one of the best parts of this team. And we'll look at the, outf- we'll look at the outfield on our early week edition of the show. And then we will actually do a weekend preview because for the late edition of the the late week edition of the show next week because then we're going straight into the season. It's it's really that close. It's hard to, like I said in the early week edition, baseball season just seems to always catch up with, with me and catches me by surprise every single year just because of the fact that it's November and it's really cold outside, so you don't play baseball in this type of weather, but you do in college, so... Like, we'll, we'll see what Mr. State can do. That The infield should be good. The outfield should be good. The starting pitching should be good. The entire team should be good. If you're not excited about this Mississippi State baseball team, then you haven't been paying attention to what they are bringing back, and they are bringing back quite a bit. So, All right, guys, I am going to go ahead and wrap up the show there. I do appreciate you guys tuning in. We will hopefully be looking ahead 
on the earlier edition of next week's show to Mississippi State further cementing their tournament resume. Well, not really further cementing it, just not doing anything to ruin their tournament resume after they take on the Vanderbilt Commodores. So we will discuss that and more on the early condition of the show next week. But until then, as always, Hail State.